We're on the uh, second part of a series called Going Deeper, A Call to Follow Christ. That series is uh, based on a story in Luke where the disciples fish all night and they catch nothing, but Jesus steps into their boat and asks them to go deeper. And so the question is, is that a one-time story that happened a long, long time ago in a place far away, or does it happen all the time? Are there ways that God steps into our boats and in, and in a sense invites you and me to go deeper? And in those places where we're tired, we're fatigued, we've tried everything we know how, and we come up empty. It's in those places we often meet the power and presence of God in a most real way. So today the topic comes from Luke 11, 1 through 13. And the issue is when, to go, when you need to go deeper, when you need to pray, but you don't know how. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock, the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, would you give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. You know, I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've had this happen numerous times, as I bet the other clergy have too. You'll be in a situation, a hospital room, or in someone's home, or in a meeting, and someone with good intentions will say, um, uh, Preacher, can you say a little prayer for me? And I'm so tempted in those situations to say, No, I can't uh, do that which would come across rude, but the reason I want to say no is there is no such thing as little prayer. When you're talking to God, all prayer is huge. We humans actually believe that we are talking to and communicating with 
the God of the whole universe. There's no such thing as a, could you say a little prayer for the man upstairs? And I, I want to say, well, for one thing, you're going to be awfully surprised to find out that God is a man, but it, I mean a woman, but anyway, no, I can't say a little prayer. I don't know how you do that. When you're talking to God, it's huge. I've often wondered how different our prayers would be if we imagine Jesus sitting in front of us while we're praying in a folding chair. If we were to put Jesus in a folding chair in front of the lectern when we say the prayers in church, or when I'm praying in a meeting, if I imagine Jesus just sitting there in a folding chair listening to me, how different would my language be? Would I inform Jesus of everything that's going on in the world as if he didn't know that we need world peace? Would I ask for this and ask for that and give Jesus my laundry list? Or if Jesus were sitting in front of me in a folding chair, would I not just be silent, fall down on my face on the floor and not be able to speak? Jesus warned us about this when he said, when you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, he said, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Really? Then why am I praying? I struggled with this personally for a long time. Almost 40 years ago, my wife Catherine and I prayed every night before we went to bed and Every night, we, for nine months, we prayed for her sister's pregnancy and the delivery of her child. Every night, we would mention them in prayer. And when the time came for her to give birth, a perfectly healthy baby boy died on the table, choked on the cord. And I had a faith crisis. Why am I praying to God if this is what happens when you pray? I didn't pray for several years. And I'll tell you, that's an occupational hazard for a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> Can you imagine being hurt and disappointed and maybe even angry at God and having to be a minister? and preach the sermons and say the little prayers. And I would write the prayers for Sunday morning and I would read them, but I really wasn't praying. I would say the little prayers in the hospital room, but I really wasn't praying. Because I lost touch with what prayer was if we ask, as Jesus said, and this is the response we get. Why bother? If we continually ask for world peace, if we pray for our husband who has cancer, if we, if we pray for this and we pray for that, and yet the world seems to be random, randomly operating, what does God need me to pray for? As if God knows nothing and waiting for me to explain things to God? No, I, um, I stopped praying. 
And it struck me that sometimes we have to forgive God, not for sinning against us, but for disappointing us. For not protecting us from the disease or from the accident. For not changing the world so hurricanes and tornadoes kill innocent people. For all the things in the world that make no sense to us, sometimes we have to forgive God, to be reconciled with God. The pain and the suffering can make you feel betrayed, unprotected, left to deal with what seems to be senseless suffering. And so one prayer, I, maybe I prayed this, I don't, I don't know. But I know in my heart the question was this, where is the sovereign God of the universe? That's a real prayer. And I don't remember when, and I, I, there wasn't any big event that changed my life, but somewhere along the way, I, I felt a need to pray again. It's as if, if you've been mad at somebody for a long time and you, you just want to let it go. You want, you want to reconnect. But I couldn't pray a prayer list, you know, where I list all these things and say, God, will you do this? And like a, God's a genie in a bottle. You know, and you just rub the bottle, God comes out and gives you all your wishes. I still can't pray like that. I have a hard time making specific requests in prayer after that incident. And so I didn't really know how to pray. And then I remembered this story. The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, um... Would you teach us to pray? And I found great comfort in that. I thought they didn't know how to pray either. And if Jesus went to all the trouble to teach us a prayer, then why don't I go to the trouble to learn it? Well, surely, Steve, you know the prayer. I mean, we say it from rote memory. Yeah. But it's almost like we've attached that prayer onto the real prayer, the big prayer. And then there's this little prayer on the end that we just sort of tag on to the end of it. I wanted to throw away the big prayers and just delve into that one. So every morning as I'm preparing to come to work, I started to pray the Lord's Prayer very slowly. There's seven petitions It has perfect balance to it. It comes on one side. It comes on the other side. If you pray the petition and let it breathe like a bottle of wine, somehow the words start to begin to take shape in your life. I got stuck on the first two words. Our Father. You know who that includes? Everybody. So I started looking at people who were really different from me with a more open understanding of who they might be, like a waitress in in the pizza place in Charlotte who was covered in Harry Potter tattoos and had rings all in, in places I didn't even think you could have a ring and some on her tongue even. And she had purple hair, just like me. And I prayed our Father every morning. Every morning I was praying our Father who art in heaven. And that meant her Father 
It meant her God. It meant my God. That she and I belonged to the same God. In a sense, she was my sister. And the differences between us don't make that much difference. When your father is the same person. Oh, I started praying, uh, our father changed my world. It included drug addicts. It included hard criminals locked up in maximum security prisons. It, It included bank executives, which was tough during the recession. It included teachers and gay people and straight people and terrorist. I don't want to pray for them. When you pray, pray our Father. It will open your worldview, Steve. I was praying for church folks, for no church folks, for no faith people, for liberals, for conservatives. I'm praying for Democrats and Republicans. It's very confusing. Who could you not pray for if you prayed our Father? We all belong to each other. And yet we devalue each other. And our hostilities grow as we minimize each person's self-worth. Wrong kingdom. Two words start to change your life. Every morning of my life, Now, for almost 40 years, I've been praying this prayer. Our Father starts to take on a whole different world view. In that prayer, I acknowledge God is God and I am not. Hallowed be your name. Not my name. It's not about me. It's about you. Every morning when you pray that prayer, it changes the way your day goes. It makes you impossible for you to do something that disrespects the name of God. And when you do, you want to fall on your face and beg for forgiveness. Your mindset is changed with this prayer. When you pray for the kingdom of God, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That means I don't have a prayer list. I don't need to tell you to go and do this and go and do that and go and do this and go and do that as if you do not know the needs of these people. Be careful about empty phrases, Jesus said. But when I pray for the will of God, that means I get out of the way and whatever that will is, I'll take it. That's why I'm here at First Presbyterian Church in Richmond praying that prayer. Because I had a career lined up in consulting with clergy all over the country. I would be in Israel right now within that job. My wife is very happy that I'm here with you. But I had it lined up my way. And yet when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you get wonderful surprises like First Presbyterian Church, Richmond, Virginia. You were not on my bucket list. But I'm so glad we're here. The surprises God brings into your life, if you'll just get out of the way and say, I pray for your will to be done. 
And it's still confusing because a child dies in an accident or a, a, an innocent baby dies at childbirth and you say, I've prayed for your will to be done. Surely these cannot be your will. God has allowed the world to operate with human freedom and even with natural disasters and things we don't choose. But I am not the one to take God to court. I began to trust more when I prayed this prayer. I pray for daily bread. And so when I get to lunch, a lot of times, you know, you forget to say the blessing or you're in a restaurant. and You're like, ah, I don't want to be pious and bow my head and close my eyes in a restaurant and act, you know, put on a show and all that. I have a simple blessing at almost every meal. That's all it is, is thank you, Lord, for this daily bread. I prayed for it in the morning and now here it is. All I need is what I need for today. And God provides it for us. And yet I've been to Congo, the poorest country in the world. And I've seen where we pray for give us, not just me, give us our daily bread. Us means everybody. And when I go to Congo, they don't have daily bread. And I've prayed this prayer in Congo. Every morning I was in that country, I prayed this prayer. Give us, that means all of these people, oh Lord, our daily bread. And yet they starve to death in hunger. It's, it's confusing. Dictators withholding food from their own people, choosing to become rich while others die and suffer. And God runs a world that allows that. And I'm not the one to take God to court. I pray every day for forgiveness. And then that Jesus put this thing in there that really messes you up. Forgive us our debts. And I know there's trespasses and debts. There's a whole story about that. Um, And it really doesn't make any difference. Forgive us our debts as, as we, for, I wish he wouldn't have put that part in there. As we forgive those, you know, our debtors. And you're like, oh, there's a balance here. I can't just receive forgiveness while I'm holding my sister by the throat. I got to let her go. You can't be forgiven and not forgive. You would clog the wheel. It has to be a flow. You got to let them go. And yet I pray that prayer every day. And it's like taking a chisel and a hammer and just chiseling a little piece off every day until finally that stone is cracked. And and all of a sudden you realize I have forgiven this person. It took me six years to do it. But I chiseled away at forgiveness every day in my prayer until finally that stone cracked and my heart was open again to that person. God, in your mercy, could you do the same for me? And the answer is yes. This is a powerful prayer. Amy Jill Levine, I don't know if you know who she is. She's Jewish. She's Jewish. 
And she's a professor of New Testament. Stop and think about that for a minute. She's Jewish. And she's a professor of New Testament in Vander- at Vanderbilt University. She knows more about Jesus than I do. And written a book about Jesus, the misunderstood Jew. It's a great book. And Amy is quite a character. She made a presentation um, in Charlotte. And uh, she said, have you ever thought about this? The prayer of Jesus, the Jesus prayer, can be prayed by Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike. And I never thought about that. And I went back through the prayer very quickly. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, will be. There's not anything unique, uniquely Christian in the whole prayer. It is such a perfect prayer of seven petitions. Seven is the perfect number in the Jewish world. Seven petitions. It swings from one side. Forgive us as we forgive others. It goes back and it goes forth. And it can be prayed by anybody of any faith anywhere. It's perfect. And you know the cool thing about it is when I come to church, all of you pray it. And I'm sitting here going... They know my prayer. Who told them this prayer? This is amazing. I pray it every morning and all the Christian people in every church I've ever been in pray this prayer. It belongs to all of us. I got stuck in my um, relationship with God. It, it, It might happen to you. I came up empty after fishing all night. And somehow God graciously stepped into my boat and said, Steve, you need to go a little deeper. I need to teach you how to pray. And he gave me this prayer. It's a gift. And my nets were full again. As I began to get reconnected with him. Has it made a perfect life for me? No, because I'm not a perfect person. But it tied me back to the one to whom I wanted to be tied. The good news here is that the emptiness doesn't have to be the last word in your life. The crisis doesn't have to have the final authority. The good news is that resurrection follows death. The good news is that we apparently can be seen from 10,000 feet and that God knows who we are. And here's our prayers, which is an amazing thing. There is no such thing as a little prayer. It's all huge. The good news is that Christ will teach you to pray if you are but willing to learn. The invitation is to go deeper. Go deeper than where you are right now. But it's not something you do. It's something you receive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.